Stories on Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. You're now going to hear Evie DeLuca's story. Her mum was really supportive, but she was bullied and misunderstood by the community she grew up in. She eventually had to leave her hometown so she could be the woman she wanted to be. It was probably in my early teens that I had the the idea, the feeling that I was female. I just didn't know how that was going to work out or how I could actually be mm. that person. But yeah, it was a very young age that I realised. Mm, but I mean, it speaks to a lot of trans people who are like who can remember being sort of three, four, or five when they. As do I. Yeah, yeah you I, do. I, yeah, I remember doing the little things that, when I look back now, it's such a, a massive giveaway of putting jumpers on my head, pretending it was my long hair and always playing with my sister's toys and never using the toys that my mum actually bought, so my brother would just nick them <laughs> um, and all of that. So, yeah, it's very common that we as trans people kind of see those signs at such an early age when we look back. And do you remember being given the signal that uh, it was something that perhaps wasn't right or you shouldn't articulate yeah i mean i mean i grew up in blackburn mm. which is a small-ish town um predominantly asian as well mm. as like very big asian community there and uh, it, it was the little things that i didn't quite realize it was because i was acting a certain way or because i was trans because obviously i didn't know it that was mm. even a thing at that age and it was the early 90s so really, it was more when people told me, no, you shouldn't act this way or you shouldn't act this way or you're acting like a kusra, which means gay or, ah. you know, pufta, that kind of like gay slur. So you were getting homophobia, really? Yeah. Because you were acting effeminate and it wasn't expected of you. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So that's that's what I grew up with. And not knowing what anything anything means, you know, these days, there's so much information at your fingertips, but... Back then, I didn't know shit about anything when it comes to, like, LGBT. It was just a non-issue. It's just nowhere to be seen. So if you're being told in the street or in the playground or wherever that you're, you're gay, did you think you were? Did it, was there that confusion at all? There was, yeah. Mm. And I didn't want to admit it because I saw what was happening to me in the playground, uh, you know, outside of school. And I thought, if this is how people are treating me when they just think that I'm gay... Mm. Imagine how they'd treat me if I actually said, actually, I am attracted to boys. I didn't think I'd survive it, so mm. I just kept quiet. So were there any gay people that you knew of or even any trans people that you knew of? In Not Black a single Black one. Not a single one. Not a hotbed for LGBT people, Blackburn, Lancashire. Mm. Not at that time. Not mm. at that time. When I got older and I was in my around eighteen, I just left. Mm. I just started uh, college and I'd uh, left school early, so I, I never finished high school. I tried to immerse myself in gay culture, and there was only one club in in uh, Blackburn ha that had a gay night that was called Never Neverland, aptly named. <laughs> but it was like it wasn't necessarily a gay club, but it was more it had a gay night. But okay. it was my only outlet really, and I remember having to go to the club and I write about it a lot in my book where I'm in disguise, a big hoodie jacket, not making eye contact with anyone. It had like a steel like locked door. You had to knock on it and wave and say, hi, I'm queer, let me in. And then they had to like open it and, you, and, and all of that. It was very cover of darkness type thing. And when I got there, it was great because I got to see gay culture, make a few friends and everything like that. But again, once I actually saw how everyone was acting 
I realized that no one was really thinking like I was. So mm. no one wants to be a woman. Nobody felt like a girl. They all just felt like gay men who want mm. to be with other men, which mm. is fine. And uh, that's when I kind of realized that that wasn't for me. Obviously, I had some fun as well. Oh, but, okay. but are you are you into men? Is that your sexuality? I am. I mean, mm. I as I got older, realized that my sexuality is more that I am attracted to the person. I don't mm-hmm. really care mm-hmm. what vessel, what outer casing you have if you have a a personality that i'm attracted to i just gravitate towards you and uh, that includes you know men women anybody really so would you identify as pansexual then i would say so Mm. yeah i would say so because i really do see myself in that way i just see myself as evie Mm -hmm. and if i like it i like it if i don't i don't and all that type of thing but i don't discriminate anybody in that sense so you have had relationships with both then i have yeah i have i have i haven't had full like long-term relationships with women Mm. um but i have had relationships i just think that it's important to let people know that we shouldn't restrict ourselves and think that we have to fit a certain mold or a certain box or anything like that just let yourself open up and be free and then you can start to really learn more about you that's kind of like what i went through when i was younger at first i thought it was just boys and i did have a a certain reverence towards girls i loved Mm. women Mm. you know when i would see women i would be in awe of them as i got older it was more a kind of a gravitational connection with women and then after i had my went through my transition and everything like that Mm. i started to realize that now i can kind of explore my sexuality when it comes to women because I wasn't ready when I was younger. Mm. Um, it was a very different thing. So it's really interesting when I think about it in that the, way. There was a lot going on, wasn't there, yeah, for teenage definitely, Evie? Definitely, yeah. definitely. So when was the first time you articulated it then and said to someone, I may not have the same sexuality as everyone else around me, I am not feeling comfortable in this body and I might be transgender? Uh, it was probably when I was a about 19 about 19 or 20 years old and it was mm. my mum um that i told you told your mum first i did yeah, yeah i told my mum first yeah. and uh and I, then i told some of my friends afterwards and uh it was a really really freeing moment when i realized it because for years i didn't even know that transgender was even a word mm. and to then have that light bulb moment that that kind of epiphany as such it was like Everything that I'd gone through, it all made sense. And now I could actually do something about it rather than mm. just have it swirling around in my head, not knowing what to do with it and still having to deal with the backlash that I was getting from society. So it was really, really great. And my mum was so, so supportive about it as well. How did the conversation go then? Uh, I basically just told her, I said, I, f- I feel like I am a girl and I know that I can actually be that now. I can actually be the girl that I know that I am. And my mum's just like... I knew you'd say something like this to me at some point. I was just waiting for you to say it. Wow. Because I'd already came out to her as gay uh, only a few years ago. And then it was a case of trying to fit that mold as such. Because you think that, oh, well, if, if I'm gay, I must try and be gay or mm. be the gayest and everything like that. But it just doesn't fit. How did that conversation go down even? Well, when I told her I was gay? Oh, yeah. It was... Actually, in a shopping centre in Preston, right? And uh, we had a conversation about it. So, but instead of kind of saying, "Oh, you, you know, are you sure?" or anything like that, instead it was, "So, when you were going to Oslo Twistle, all those times with that friend that we mm. didn't know about, 
was that really a boyfriend? I was like, yeah, it was. So uh, really, she was more interested in like, oh, so when you were doing this, or when you said you were going here, when you were doing that, is this what is this what you were getting up to? And I just mm-hmm. said, yeah, that's what I was. That's what was happening. Uh, okay. And uh, that's kind of like how it went with her. She's just great. She didn't seem like she's got too many uh, issues with it then. N- not a one. Mm-hmm. No. You you describe yourself as a trans Indian woman. Are they born and bred in India? Uh, well, my mum was uh, my mum is Indian, mm-hmm. as is my dad. My mum was born in Tanzania in Africa, mm. and uh, my dad is uh, from India. But they both came into this country when they were in their young teens. Okay. My mum is the youngest of all of her brothers and sisters, but she's come to be very open-minded and very tolerant and accepting of everyone. And I think that's a really good attitude to have, especially given where she's come from and how she's been raised and everything like that. So it's just, it, I'm, I'm really blessed to have someone like her in my life. And what religion uh, were, they, were they raised in or were you raised in? Uh, I was raised in a Muslim hmm? religion. My whole family, uh, my dad, my mum, uh, are Muslim, including aunts, uncles, cousins. And then I was also, you know, in Blackburn, very Muslim there as well. So it was, I was very much surrounded by it. I think I'm slightly surprised at what an easy ride you had of it, only because I've spoken to a lot of Muslim people who have been very closeted and were under no illusions that they might be sort of thrown out of the family because they couldn't reconcile the the Muslim faith with being gay, let alone being trans. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was extremely hard to be Mm. Asian, Muslim and queer. Mm. And in the 90s, it was really, really difficult. With my mum... She taught me the ways of Islam. I didn't go to mosque or anything like that. I'm the youngest of three. So my, mm. my brother and my sister did go to mosque when they were younger, um, but I didn't. But my mum taught me the ways of Islam and then gave me the choice as to whether I should want to follow it, which I think is great for her. But really, the the issues for me came from relatives and the, the, the Muslim community. It was like a daily thing. There wasn't a day mm. that had gone by, whether it would be at school out of school, anywhere where I was being told that how I am and how I'm acting and who I who I think I'm going to be is going to bring shame. So don't do it. Otherwise, you'll be disowned and more or less. And I even got that from my own GP when I actually went to them and said, this is how I feel. And he was like, yeah, you don't want to shame your family. Hang out with your brother more. Play football, do boys things. This was your GP. This was my GP, and this was when I was in my teens. Mm. And I went to my GP saying, "This is how I feel." You know, I told my mum that I needed to go to the doctors because I wasn't feeling well. But actually, this is what I wanted to say, and that's the that's the response I got from them. So your GP didn't say, "Oh, I can recommend a good uh, gender clinic." No, 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 nothing like that at all. And that's that's kind of like what I've grown up with. When you, when you see it at school as well, where the, the majority of the bullying is coming from other Asian people because they don't like how you're acting and you're not fitting in and you're not doing this, so let's just target you. That's how it kind of panned out for me, mm. which made me basically think that who I am is wrong and I, it's almost as if I shouldn't even exist because of who I am. But yet your immediate family were being very supportive by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, my mum my, my was really supportive when I did tell her I was trans. Mm-hmm. My brother and my sister, they understood it to an extent, but I still made the decision and my mum was heartbroken when I did to leave Blackburn because I knew that I couldn't be trans and be in Blackburn. Right. Because I write about it in my book about how hard it was when I realised that I was trans and I didn't want to wait to transition. 
I didn't want to be like, oh, I'll just wait until I move to Manchester and I'll wait until I do this. Like, no, I need to do it now. I, I can't wait. And I was working in Manchester at the time, but living in Blackburn. And I chose to transition at home and travel to Manchester every single day without my brother or my sister even knowing that I was trans. They had no idea that I was trans, but I was still getting dressed, getting on the train, going to work, coming home. And the only person that knew what I was doing was my mum. So at what stage were you getting dressed into feminine attire then? So I would literally be at home. I'd wake up super early, do basic foundation and put my outfit on, tuck all of that, then put a massive long bomber jacket on with a hood, make it to the train station without any eye contact, get to my job, then go into the accessible toilets, put on the rest, put on the chicken fillets, the heels, go into work, do an eight-hour shift, and then just do it in repeat backwards. I did that for months while I saved up to move to Manchester because I couldn't wait. That sounds incredibly hard, Evie. Yeah, it was so hard. And some of the some of the times when I was on the train and someone would clock me, it was the most frightening moments of my life. And I write about one of those particular moments in my book. Mm. And when my mum read it, she told me that she was heartbroken when she read that, that she didn't know that that happened. What, someone gave you transphobia and abuse yeah. from a stranger? Yeah. yeah, and it was so hard because I'm sitting there on a train with half makeup on because I couldn't take everything off mm. um, and trying my best to look manly, look butch, mm. but at the same time, it's just not working. I, I went through all of that just so I could be me. And it was the, it's so tough. And to be an Asian person as well, it's almost as if there's like an added toughness, like an added pressure to it as well. You have to kind of like work with that. Mm. So you were playing a role, weren't you? But you were playing two parts. Yeah, yeah, I was. It's It was really, really tough because I didn't know what else to do. So you're trying to act like a man while you're in Blackburn and yeah. then be a woman in Manchester. Yeah. And within a day, you're two different people. Yeah. And it's insane. It's insane. And then when I'm at work, when I was, you know, when I got to work, I had to act like I was this person that loved wearing four layers of foundation and eyeshadow mm. and lipstick when really I'm not. I'm a jeans and T-shirt girl, mm. hair tied up, no makeup. But I couldn't do that because mm. I had to cover up the five o'clock shadow, I had to do all of that. So I had to play that role as well. So how did um, your work take your transition? Some were okay about it and some were not. And that was really tough. And we're talking early 2000s now. Mm. And it was really rough because I had the same issue that is still we're still seeing now, which is people complaining that I'm using the women's toilets. I was basically assaulted at work someone attacked me and it was vicious and at work at work mm -hmm. but what about talking to to your bosses and to management did they support you through your transition when you came out to them um to an extent i did have um some support from my manager and everything like that but uh, again i was even pulled in for a uh, complaint that was made against me about using the wrong toilets and I'm like are you sure you want to be doing this mm. because this isn't going to end well for you and uh, it's just one of those things where I had to work through all of those obstacles there's just so many and it's so crazy because when you think about it I just I'm just living my life I'm not really bothering anybody but apparently people have an issue 
It strikes me that you're an incredibly strong and determined woman. And where does that come from, do you think? Because you have had to face so much adversity to, to be the woman you are today. Yeah, I definitely get that from my mum. <laughs> <laughs> she has a, a strength and resilience that I've never seen before. And it's clear yeah. that I get it from her, most definitely. Yeah, well, it's interesting you told her first. So did your yeah. brother and sister come around? Did they sort of get it in the end? Yeah, I mean, my, my sister was pretty much kind of, yeah, you just do your thing and everything like that. And when I moved to Manchester, it wasn't a case of I never spoke to them again or anything like that. It was more a case of they're living their lives and I'm living mine, which is very much how we were when we mm. all lived together. Uh, and that was it. And with my brother, it wasn't like we had this really tight bond anyway. So when I moved away, I did see him if I did go back to Blackburn every now and then. But as that became less and less, I started to see him less and less. And then it turned out that I didn't really see him for a very long time. But our relationship now is is really good. Fab. And you haven't mentioned your dad yet. Is he still around? He is somewhere in the world, I suppose. Okay. Um, to me, he is really a non-issue because mm. he was never really present. If, oh, I'm, okay. if, if I'm honest. He's not really been in your life. No. Okay. I just remember him just being just this person that lived with us and then he decided to leave and ah. that was it really. So okay. it's a case of I don't really feel like he is a factor in any of it. Okay. So what's it like now then when you go back to Blackburn as Evie, the woman you are today? Do you, you feel like what? the community supports you? You know what? It's really interesting you ask that because I recently went back to Blackburn after not being back for years mm. and uh, I saw things in such a positive way and when I I saw everyone and I saw my family and everything. It was so uplifting and it was so great. And when I walked around town and all these areas in town that I remember from my childhood that were once quite a negative thing, I look at it now and go, wow, I learned so much from that experience. So it's actually really great now. When I went back to Blackburn, I actually had a really good time. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I bet you couldn't have believed it from like the teenage EV to to who you are now. Yeah, definitely. And I saw areas where I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about that memory book two so it's very much kind of that so i'm really glad that i'm in this kind of state of mind now because it really shows that you can learn from every single thing that you've gone through and let go of it and then turn it into something positive so you mentioned your book a couple of times tell us what it's called and why you wanted to write it Yeah, so my book is called Tainted Beauty, The Memoir of an Authentic Creation. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wanted to write it is because I wanted to write something that people could read and take away from it everything that they need to take away. So I wanted people to read it and have more answers than questions. But it is your life story, isn't it? It definitely yeah. is. And yeah. I don't hold back with it because I don't want it to read as a textbook or a how-to guide or anything like that. I just want it to be real. And that's really what I wanted when I was going through my transition. I mm. wanted to read something from a from a realistic standpoint, not from a clinical standpoint. And uh, that's why I did it. Yeah, but if you want to find out even more about Evie, I will suggest reading that. But also, it's not for the uh, faint hand or the prudish, is it? It's quite sexy. It definitely is, from the jump. (laughs) Well, it starts with a sex scene. It starts with you explaining having sex with this guy in a hotel in London, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, he took me back back to his apartment. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had drinks at the hotel. Oh, right, okay. (laughs) Yeah, my mum had a laugh reading that. So, yeah, it's definitely very, very sexy. I I think Mm. it's a really important thing as well to talk about that. Mm. And a lot of people, especially trans people, you know, we're very guarded when it comes to our stories and everything. We're not 
as open as we want to be and that's okay but I think if you are in a position to talk about your experiences and it can help someone then just do it and that's why I did it. Yeah I think a lot of trans people don't want to talk about the private lives or the sex lives in particular. Yeah and I think sex is like it's such an important part of anybody really and I think if I was going to write about it I was going to go full throttle with it and some (laughs) of it I'm even a bit uncomfortable with because I'm talking about my sex life before I transitioned Mm. so it's like oh do I really want to talk about myself in that way? Way, but it's like yeah actually because that is an experience that i had mm. and i've learned from it so write about it and yeah make it juicy yeah you lived it and you experienced oh, it yeah. can i just ask you because a lot of trans people just want to pass and they just you know that i totally get as well but mm-hmm. for you i get the sense that you're very out and proud as a trans woman yeah <clears throat> and you're happy letting people know that you are trans why yeah. is that i think it's because for a long time i have been passing Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, I can walk down the street and no one really knows. No one nope. clocks me or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I think I've taken that kind of luxury for granted for many mm-hmm. years. When I started my transition, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And there were telltale signs and everything like that. And as the years went on, I just started to get into a mode of I'm just living my life. I'm just getting on with it. So I don't mm-hmm. really need to broadcast it for everyone. And that was it. When I started thinking about writing my book, that's when I started to think, actually, I'm taking a luxury for granted. And there are a lot of people out there who are going through the process, Mm -hmm. who maybe have been uh, going through it for many, many years and still aren't able to pass in society. But we shouldn't be made to feel that that's what the goal is because we shouldn't pass for anything other than ourselves. And that's why I wanted to come out and kind of be a really, really open, proud trans woman because I don't want people to think that, yeah, you need to pass because you need to make other people comfortable. It's like, no, just look like yourself and that's all that matters. Well said. So finally, I always like to end on this question. What what advice would you give? And I think particularly to perhaps people listening in the Indian community and in the Muslim community who were questioning the, the gender identity or the sexuality and, and scared to come forward and didn't have the, the sort of guts that you've had. I think... What I would say to those people is stay true to who you are because what you're feeling and what you know to be true inside you as that authentic creation is is true, is mm. correct. Don't doubt that. So go full force with it and don't be afraid because the people that are meant to stay in your life, they will stay in your life. And you might be like me and you might lose all your family relations, all this, this, that and the other and just keep the the ones that are meant to be in your life and that's all that matters and don't think that you need to conform to anybody because one thing my mum said to me mm-hmm. is don't ever think that you need to be someone else to please me because when i'm dead and i'm gone who the hell are you going to be pleasing i like the sound of your mother she's a wise woman yeah so she's like no one and you would have wasted your life <laughs> so you go and do your thing and as long as you're happy i will be behind you and even if you do lose family there's going to be people who are going to be in your life who you can meet like me who can be your family who can be your support because you're not going to you're not by yourself whatsoever wonderful story of Evie. And of course, if you want to find out more, you can get Evie DeLuca's book, Tainted Beauty, the memoir of an authentic creation. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us there at Come Out Stories. I'm Emma Goldswell, and Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. 
Next time round, you'll hear from the author, Lev A.C. Rosen, who grew up in a liberal Jewish household in 90s New York. He didn't think he should have to come out as gay because, well, straight people don't have to do it, do they? He didn't want to make a big deal out of it. But he could never have guessed his mother's response. After my first year of college, my mother was driving me somewhere. I don't remember. But I was talking about a guy I dated. Like, that's how I did it. I was just like, uh, this guy broke up with me. I was, I was sad about it. So I was talking to my mom. And she, she said to me, you know, Lev, when I had two boys, I thought I would uh, be able to avoid this. But let me tell you something that my mother told me. Men are scum. <laughs>